welcome back to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success now this show is all about sharing everyone's story at the end of the day everyone's story is valuable does not matter what walk of life you come from you're all welcome on this show you know i got a great friend of mine today on the show hillary schroeder we're going to be talking about her going back to school for mental health and addictions you know she developed a dependency to drugs in her early 20s And it started with a relationship to someone who was already an addict. She went to theater school. She suffered from postpartum depression and has two children. And she was addicted to opiates. But she's overcome many, many things and is pushing, you know, further and further along in life. And I congratulate her on being 18 months clean and sober today. Congratulations, Hillary. Let's break into this episode. Lots of trigger warnings today for everyone listening. But strap yourself in, buckle that seatbelt up, and let's blast off. This is part one. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast from the depths of darkness to the light of success. I'm your host, Chris Swick. This podcast is all about mental health, addictions, and just trying to break the stigma around anything anyone's afraid to talk about. You know, you can go follow the show over on Instagram at depths of dark side, or go follow the show and hit the follow button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, wherever the hell you can find your podcast, you'll find me there. Now, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce the next guest, Hilary Schroeder, who lives in Guelph, Ontario now, you know, and I've met her through recovery, and she's an awesome friend. So I want to take it away and let them know a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Hilary. I am 31. I live in Guelph, Ontario. Um, I am currently in school for mental health and addictions, Um, but that's not where my story starts right now. Uh, My story starts... um, probably back in my early 20s when uh, when I found myself uh, starting to develop my own substance dependency and, and addictions. You know, I've, uh, I've overcome a lot. I've persevered through um, some really, really hard stuff. But I think like every, like my story is unique, just like everybody else's. Really didn't know what was going on with me when I started to develop dependency. I believe that anybody who is spiritually broken is vulnerable to an addiction. Um, You know, and addictions come in all kinds of shapes and forms. Mine was to heroin. um, And I think I also had an addiction to chaos and drama um, and dysfunction in my life. And what brought you down that path to being dependent on drugs, you know, to to uh, bury those feelings and stuff like that, Hillary? What was it that brought you down? Was there some past trauma from earlier on in your life? So I, I ended up in a relationship with somebody who had had about 20 years of addiction history between alcohol and opiates, um, anything, basically. Uh And at that point in time, I was all about trying to help people, right? Like, I was just so desperate. I didn't know. I didn't love myself. I thought, 
you know, I wanted a family, I wanted a normal life, as they would always, you know, they say, you grow up, you go to school, you get a job, you have, you meet someone, you have kids, like, it's just, the typical life was kind of drilled into my mindset, right? Like, not saying that it was from parental figures necessarily, but like, just from society. Society teaches us that, like, you know, that's what normal life is. Um, and, and, you know, being so young, going to theater school, just being so lost, I think, when I finished and not really knowing what I wanted to do, I met this guy and I put everything I had into trying to fix him, um, trying to make him better, uh, you know, see that life could be good and happy and we could have a family and it didn't take long. Um, I got pregnant and we had our, like, he actually proposed to me a month before I got pregnant. And this was all in the span of like six months. We lived together on an island for a few months. He wasn't using substance, like he, he had been drinking and he got caught and I tried to help him. And so throughout the rest of the summer, he had stopped drinking while we were on the job and working at this fishing lodge. So by the time we came out a couple months later, I thought he was good. Things were fine. I came down like back to Southern Ontario. He moved down here with me. I got a good job um, and he got a job a little while later, like after I got pregnant, but it wasn't long. It was literally right around when I got pregnant that he showed up at my work to pick me up and I smelled booze on him. And I can remember the feeling in my stomach just being like, oh, like, I thought this was okay. Like, we were going to be okay. Like, this wasn't going to be a problem. Like, he would, you know, want to be with me and he wouldn't want to use drugs and drink. And, oh, my God, like, I was freaking out, right? And this battle went on for a few years. Um, I ended up having another child. Um, but at this point, my relationship with my parents had become so strained Um all the support that I had in my life was really just on the rocks. Like it was, I couldn't figure out who to make happy, my, my family or my kid's dad or like, I, or how, what was going to make me happy. I just wanted to have the picture perfect family. I had postpartum depression after my daughter was born and she was like, both my children were premature, um, related to stress more than likely. Um, I was sick my entire pregnancies, like, it was supposed to be joyous, right? Like it's all I'd wanted to be was a mom and everything was just like not going what, how I, how I in my head imagined things were supposed to be in life. I ended up doing a line of something after my daughter was within like a week after she was born and I got my taste, right? Um, and at that point, I believe I was completely spiritually broken. Um, I had fought for years to try and get my kid's dad to sober up. Obviously I was failing at that. And everyone likes to say that I capitulated, you know, like if you can't beat them, join them. And I believe that is truly what happened to me. Like I, but it wasn't like, oh, like I don't blame him, right? Like I definitely don't blame him. I'm not like, he's, he's the one that introduced me to substances. Like, no, I was vulnerable. Like I was broken and I was depressed and, um, and then things got really rocky after that. Like I, we took off um, after my daughter was born about a few weeks after she was born, we took off 12 hours away from here um, and moved 
the four of us with your kids? kids he's from and his family yeah so we took the kids and we because at this point nobody knew that there was anything going on no one really knew that jesse my, my kid's dad was drinking no one knew that i had started doing anything but my parents were on to something right like they were like why isn't he working like and and it was just constantly lies and excuses and they were catching on and so fight or flight right we we flew like we took right off took the kids moved up to Chaplow. and uh this place is where he was from and you know he's vulnerable he's already back into his dependency and i'm starting to to get a taste and he catches up with all of his old friends that you know he uh he knew when he was he used to live there and right away started getting um hydromorphine so it started with prescription pills um and that was like a few months of that he was you know drinking consistently too i i really never really drank every once in a while i would but something about the opiates just caught me right like that's what my brain and my like my brain liked um and it just went on right like it went on and on and on and i came back down with the kids he stayed up there i was clean for a while for the summer while he was gone then he finally came back down and it didn't take long for him to find somebody down here and shit is a whole lot cheaper down here than it is up there so things got a whole lot worse and going through that with him, like when he came back down, did you take him back right away or was it just sort of he showed up at your doorstep? No, I'd been fighting with him to come down and to to get out of there to get clean because I was worried he was going to die. And like, I I thought that coming down here, he'd be safer, right? Um, I was doing well, which meant that I thought I was going to be solid for him when he got down here. And he had lied to me. Like, he had came down to, to, he said he was coming down to, like, coming back in the summer. He shows up with a bag. And I was like, where's all your stuff? Like, I'm not really coming back. Like, he didn't want to leave his job. It was really good paying. Unfortunately, now I do recognize that he did have a really stable, good paying job there. And that could have set him up for success. And... I wasn't meeting him where he was at maybe, or just not understanding the, de- like the, the grips of the addiction that both of us were, were in. And then what you need to get recovery. Um, I thought it was like, you just need someone to love you. No, you need support. You need guidance and you need to start having things in life that are normal. Um, like a job, like a place to live. Yeah. And so take us along that road because you've, you know, been through your ups and downs, like you've said, and through sharing your story and stuff on social media, you know, so that's where your sort of addiction started was in your twenties. You didn't really get into it. Nothing really had happened to you before then through, you know, trauma from your childhood or anything. eh? You know, I moved a lot as a child and I think it's not like severe. It's not severe trauma that I went through. Right. I just, um, I was a different kid. I needed different kind of support. And I believe that education and awareness of how to approach kids that are different the way I was, wasn't understood back then, um, you know? And so I have to understand where my, where my family was at at the time and where society was at at the time. I was, I had this preconceived notion of what life was supposed to be like, right? And, but then there was also this part of me 
I can remember this part of me of like, you know, watching shows like Intervention or when I learned about drugs, like when I learned about heroin, I was pretty young. I don't know why I was so young when I learned about it. Um, probably some show and then my parents explaining something to me, right? And there being this morbid curiosity, this like, this is so bad, but like, obviously there's like some reason that people do it. I kind of want to try it. And, but you know, that also this, they teach you the kids that come from broken families and, and, and live in rough areas and skip school and get bad grades. They're all the ones that are addicts. You know, there, that was the idea in my head. And I hate using that language. You had the idea that you were a kid, like sort of like when the people were like that became addicts. I didn't have a broken family, right? Like I had, I had two parents that were together, um, had a nice home, all, all the right things, right? Like my, 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 my family was the picture perfect family. Um, so I didn't think that I was vulnerable to addiction. If I did anything, I was, I didn't come from a home like that. So if I tried anything, I thought I was safe, right? Like I wasn't going to end up down that road. Yeah, no, I totally get what you're saying, Hillary, too. Like I didn't come from that broken home or any of that stuff as well. You know, it was just something that had happened to me in in my early years, you know, through a family friend. And that's sort of what set it off because I was afraid to talk about these things back then. It just, it wasn't something that you talked about in a sense, you know, you kept your feelings to yourself. That's what I was taught in a sense. But today I know that it's not good to, you know, bury things down inside because it doesn't usually go well. It definitely doesn't. And I can like, I know I have trauma from sexual assaults and encounters and stuff as a teenager. Right. I'm just, and I didn't, I, I've, I've been starting to process all that stuff and understand it. Um, I've gotten to a place now where I'm very comfortable being alone, which is really good for me. But I, I, I was, I was used to chaos and comfortable in the drama and, and the, like, um, my life is crazy. Like, look at me, like, feel sorry for me. There got to be a point where in my addiction, where I was like, you know, feel sorry for me. And, and wanted like some sort of attention. I don't know. I still haven't quite figured all that out. I just know that when I got, you know, away from my kid's dad and then was trying to get clean and then all these supports that, you know, family services that got involved and everything just went horrible. Everything just went so, so to shit at that point, because like, I thought I, I used to think it was a lot of time it was me just being like a rebel, like, oh, as soon as you're telling me what to like, you know, you're telling me what to do. No, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm going to put my back up. I thought that was just my personality. But the more I've come to understand stuff in school is that when you rob somebody of their self-autonomy and the natural human reaction is to have resistance, right, is to resist that. Like, and so when I thought I was doing well in my recovery and and I was on the right path. I'd gotten on methadone, so I was on on harm reduction by the time I left my kid's dad. I hadn't been using street drugs. Like at that point, I'd gotten into heroin. So I had started smoking and snorting heroin with my kid's dad, got on methadone. Yeah, so then I left him, and then everybody around me is like, well, if you want your kids and you want to have – you have to get off methadone. Like I wasn't actually clean, Right. Um, so I came off methadone twice in one year 
it is absolute hell. Like I can't even describe to you how sick I was. I had no I, I had no skills acquired at that point. I hadn't found Narcotics Anonymous. I hadn't found social support. I was just being told that this is what I had to do in order to achieve what I wanted, right? And like I was just trying and to And who was telling you these things? Family services. And and then they wouldn't they no one really offered me support that was like appropriate for me. It was just, oh, whatever we can get for Hillary, she's gonna get. Um, and so I ended up getting into this program that was for integrated mood and anxiety. Mind you, I was had just been doing heroin all summer and I was back on methadone and they throw me into to rehab for, for an integrated mood and anxiety program. And I lasted about two weeks and the time I was there, I found NA, right? Like I went to my first NA meeting, I started to get support, but I still was lost in my way. I was... Um, the person that introduced me was an IV user. Um, so I was, you know, oh, let's go to meetings. But then, you know, he's in another program at the rehab. He goes home on the weekend, comes back and he's high and he starts glorifying IV drug use and my mind's spiraling, right? Because I'm hurt and sad that my friend has gone and used. And I'm like, why is it that everybody who's a drug, who's using drugs just keeps going back out? Like, that's going to be me. That's going to be me. And I set myself up, right? And I left Homewood one day and I walked from Homewood to downtown and I found somebody that I knew and I had them shoot me up for the first time. So that's what I did when I was in rehab, (laughs) you know, like, because I wasn't there for the right thing. I wasn't, I wasn't being treated for what I needed to be treated for at the time. And I was being forced to do things that like I had misdiagnoses for mental health disorders everything was a mess because there, you know, my, my symptoms of withdrawal and, and, and my, like from my substance use were mimicking mental health stuff. And, and so no one could figure out what was going on with me. That was in October of 2018. I went home two and a half weeks after I started that program, didn't finish it, kept going to, to 12 step groups when I got out, but I had gotten to do something that I had never thought I'd ever, I was ever going to do in my life, but somehow I got it in my head that I should try it, right? That morbid curiosity kicked back in. I had no education, right? I had no education around IV drug use. I was on my own at this point. I lived out in the country, so I would get a bag of stuff from the safe supply or the, like, the, the harm reduction place that hands out clean supplies, sorry. Spent three months shooting up drugs with no awareness of what I was doing to myself, I got arrested. I got arrested in January. I was really, really sick. I thought I was having some bad withdrawals. So I'd come to Guelph and I'd gotten some drugs. I did them in the car and somebody came and found me in the car, nodded out and called the cops. So I got arrested and I was really sick. I've looked back in like the like the the write-out from my like arrest and it's like like Hillary was saying that she was not feeling well Hillary threw up like I had a fever they came took me to do my talk screen at the hospital my blood pressure was fucked up my heart rate was all messed up and really really high and the doctor said oh she's probably fighting an infection you know they I was very cordial like they treated me really well when I got arrested they were very nice to me I didn't I was just sick though right like I couldn't even put up a fight because I was so sick 
I got let out in the evening at like 11.30. I walked from downtown Guelph to like the south end basically to try and get some more drugs before heading my way back up to Fergus. Four days later, I couldn't walk, right? Like I couldn't walk. I suddenly had like spots all over my hands. Um, Nothing was like, no matter what I did, nothing was making me feel better. Um, And my parents called an ambulance and I was septic and I was extremely sick. I had bacterial uh, endocarditis in my heart. That was from shooting drugs. My lack of knowledge and awareness, like I I thought the only thing you didn't have to do was share needles, right? I was safe if I didn't share my needles, but did I really understand about like reusing needles like my own? No, like I didn't. And I feel very silly and naive um, because I, I, I think I'm a very smart person. But at that time, like, holy crap, I had absolutely no idea what endocarditis was and that I was giving it to myself. What right? is it for the people that are listening that don't know? So endocarditis is a uh, bacteria. It can, it's a bacterial infection. You can get it like on your, like it can start to vegetate on your spine and cause paralysis. So mine vegetated on my heart and had vegetated so much that part of my heart and my valves started to break off and my heart started to pump those pieces of my heart all over my body. So I had one of them go up to my brain and give me a stroke. Um, We don't know exactly when it happened. We just was found um, in an MRI. I had pulmonary embolisms fill my lungs up. Um, So I went into congestive heart failure. And yeah, they had started to, I started to be okay before the congestive heart failure started. I was like, my doctor had come to see me in the hospital and I was doing all right. Suddenly I crashed. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't, my back hurt so bad. My back hurt so bad. I, I could remember all of a sudden there just being like so many nurses. Um, they got x-ray to come up to the room. They couldn't even move me. Um, they had x-ray come take an, a chest x-ray in my room. My lungs were completely full. Um, out in the, in the hallway, my doctors like, you know, my parents saw the x-ray over someone's shoulder. And, you know, he was like, my doctor turned around and just looked at them and was like, we need to get her the fluid out of her now, or we need to get her to St. Mary's for heart surgery immediately. I was dying. I could look at my dad and I could just remember all the chaos, right? Like the absolute beeping and just being in so much pain and being like, I don't want to be in pain because I was going through withdrawals too. And they couldn't like, they were giving me morphine for pain, but nothing. I mean, I'd been doing fentanyl. So like nothing was touching the pain. And I looked at my dad, I grabbed his hand and I just, I looked up at him and I said, I don't want to die. Like I, I couldn't believe that I landed myself where I did, right? Like, how did I do this to myself? Like, how did this happen so fast? Like I see in, in you know, people do drugs and IV drugs for years, years and years and years. And I've never heard of this. How did this happen to me in three months? That's Pretty crazy. Scary. No, that would be very, very scary. You know, I haven't been down that road. I was not an IVU drug user myself, but I have many friends that were and, you know, some that aren't lucky enough to make it. But I'm truly grateful that you're here today to share your story and shed some light on it, Hillary. That was, you know, it was very powerful what you just said. Thank you. So, you know, along those lines, so, you know, you got through all that, you had open heart surgery. And now what, what made you tick that? You know, I want to go to school to, 
deal with mental health and addictions people and stuff like that was it just a passion years after you got cleaned up that you really wanted to do that yeah so i just want to say i i ended up having laparoscopic heart surgery they i had an amazing heart surgeon who was like determined to not replace my valves but fix both of them so that i wouldn't have to have multiple surgeries in the future or i wouldn't have to be blunt on blood thinners for the rest of my life um, I was to be prepared to wake up having open heart being done, but he pulled it off and I've got two small scars and a ticker that's got two repaired valves and it's working great. I'm forever grateful for uh, my wonderful surgeon over in Kitchener. I've always wanted to help people. So like actually when I met my kid's dad, I had just finished theater school and had this weird, you know, draw to him to fix him to and then I'd also had this weird curiosity around substances and addiction right like like I said there was that morbid curiosity there but also like I just I didn't understand it right like I couldn't understand how people could end up there and be so like watching shows like intervention messed me up I think I I didn't end up I, I looked into going to school back then um it just didn't happen um which is you know all meant to be because I ended up going down my own road of addiction and experiencing it myself. Today, I just finished, you know, my first year of college for mental health and addictions. Last summer, I was just, I had all this, this time and I was starting to get my life back on track. Um, I'd had about six months clean and I was just ready to to do something. My doctor had been weird about me going back to work. She didn't think it would be good for my recovery to be focused on anything like that, but I could volunteer. I was just like, I am going to school. Like COVID is happening. Like what else is there really to do? I, I keep, th I've been thinking about this for so long since the moment I came into recovery myself, I wanted to share. I wanted to be a speaker. I wanted to help others. Yeah. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I have a really good understanding of it, I think, and I think this is something that I should do. So I applied for school and I got in. I have experienced something absolutely wonderful over the last eight months, and that is finding my calling. Believe that this is something that I am meant to do. Um, I get great joy out of um, helping others, right? Like I, I, because I get it, I understand it. But not only do I, I do I understand individuals, I understand society, right? Like I understand how how systems, agencies, and stuff that are, are you know can be can be helpful, but in the wrong way, they can totally undermine somebody's recovery. Um, and we are coming a really long way in education right now and awareness on how to help people, like how to better approach people suffering from mental health and, and substance use issues. You know, we're changing the language. Now that you're on the topic of mental health, Hillary, what is a one way you can suggest to people out there, you know, now going to school for your first year, how to help someone that is dealing with mental health, you know, either an illness or problems in their life, you know, what's the best way to approach someone that is dealing with it or offer them support? Um, with listen you need i think listening and having empathy and understanding um and never never telling somebody what to do right like um try to guide them to come to the decision on their own uh because there's a lot of power in that for an individual when hey i made this decision nobody else told me i needed to no one told me i had to do this people talked to me about it 
and I've been able to come to the decision on my own. Patience, you know, um, it takes a lot of patience. I think recognizing for me, like I, I, I started to excel in my recovery the moment I had my own place, right? I had a safe place to lay my head at night. Um, I wasn't constantly like, oh, if you know, shit hits the fan, am I going back to the shelter? Like, um, I'd lived in the shelter for a few months at that point when I got my place. But while I lived out in the shelter and on the streets, like, I stayed clean. You know, I knew it was for me and only for me. And it was weird. It was really weird for me that the second that I had nobody telling me what I had to do and all of a sudden I'm in a place where I got no responsibilities. I'm living downtown at the shelter. Like I could go do whatever the fuck I want right now. No one's going to care. No one's going to know. No one's going to see me. I can do this. But I didn't. Like it was bizarre. And I believe now that it's just because I wanted to be clean, but I needed to figure out what was best for me. And, and, you know, everyone's saying like, you know, you've got a nice place to live. You're with your kids here. I love my parents so much, right? Like they've given me so much support and and help through all of this. But I felt like I was like, I, I, I felt I had no independence. I had no autonomy. I felt like I was constantly being watched and ridiculed and judged and it just wasn't helping when I no longer had that. And it was just me looking out for me and my independence and feeling like I can do this. I'm capable. I'm going to get there. You know, like a lot, a lot came from that. Well, that's very powerful and true. It's uh, like when you, feel that independence when you don't have independence and you feel like someone's watching over you or watching your every move or whatnot you know I've felt the same way you have as well but once you get out on your own and prove to yourself that you can do it you know it just keeps and keep it going and having that routine of doing it on your own it feels so good and you feel like you've accomplished something too which you should be very proud of yourself for doing I think one of the hardest things for for somebody who's become you know, addicted, addicted to substances. Um, and it has, and is, it becomes familiar, right? Like that's, what's familiar. That's the life that is most comfortable. And there's so much fear and change. And, and am I capable of this? Can I live clean and sober? Like, will I have any fun? You know, I don't, like my problem was, is I didn't think I was going to amount to anything as a clean and sober person. So I kept like, I didn't have faith in myself. I didn't believe that I could achieve anything. You know, like this was the the hands that was dealt to me. And I, I guess I just have to live it. Um, but that's not, that's not true. Given the right support, given, you know, the right knowledge and understanding and self-awareness, um, I think someone is capable of achieving anything they really want to. You're so right. It's so true. Um, I didn't think I would amount to anything either. Like for the longest time, I didn't think you could have fun clean and sober. But boy, I can tell you that is fucking bullshit. I have just as much fun, if not more fun, clean and sober now. You know, I'm still the same human I was when I was addicted to crack cocaine or whatever it was that I was using. But I just, you know, I've... I don't have the substance to do alongside anymore. I just 
do it without it. And it, it, it's much more enjoyable because I remember it. I remember what I've done. You know, I don't have to worry about putting the puzzle together the next morning of the chaos that I've caused the day before. When do you remember like at the beginning too, it's like experiencing life for the first time. You know, I had never done well at stuff or felt like, you know, I, I wanted to be a mom so bad. And when I had my kids, um, you know, I was, we, my kids were cared for. They weren't neglected. Um, I wasn't the best mom. That's for sure. Um, but today when I spend time with them, right? Like it's just so much more enjoyable. It's so easy. Um, I've often talked about, you know, how much I wanted to spend time with my kids, but like my body was so physically sick so much of the time that like, I just, I couldn't, right? Like no matter how much I wanted to, I just couldn't pick myself up. Um, everything in my body hurt. This, this year I've spent a lot of time just like, I, I live in subsidized housing. Um, it's not ideal, but it's where I'm at right now and that's okay. And I was very like, I, so last year I was really like, I'm so mad about where I'm still at. Like I'm living in like the ghetto and um, I was really hard on myself, right? And where my I was at in my life and in society. Like I felt like I still wasn't a good functioning member of society and, you know, I really didn't have much to be proud of, but I had to change my thinking, you know, and, and also just stop looking for other things outside of myself to make my problems like go away. Like when it comes to getting my kids back, um, I thought what I needed <laughs> was to like be with somebody who could help provide for me and my kids and like, not like I didn't want to like work or be lazy, but like, I just didn't think I, if, even if I was working a full-time job on my own, I didn't think I was going to be able to, to get my kids back or be a mom. Right. Because I just, everyone always says single moms, like life is so hard. You're not going to make it Hillary. Like, how are you going to do that as a single mom? How are you? How are you? How are you? Like I, <laughs> I can do it, but people put it in my head that I should doubt myself. So I had it believing that I needed to have all these other things. If I, if I got all this other stuff, then I could get what I want back in my life. And so that was a year ago. And I've really recognized that only I can, you know, achieve these things. And, 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 and I'm capable of that. Like I'm, I am as a single mom can probably provide to my kids way better of a life than if I was with somebody who could maybe like financially help me a little bit, but you know, with my kids, I know that sounds horrible to say, but it's true though. Like that's how we look at life. No, it's, and that's you're how we speaking from the heart in, in stuff that we don't want to be in because like, if we don't have this or we don't have this other person in our lives and our support, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to make it. I need them. I can't do this on my own. I had to recognize I can do this on my own. I love that you say that. That's amazing. You know, it's, you got to learn to love yourself and learn to live life on your own before you can bring someone else into your life again, sort of thing, you know, learn to take care of yourself. Then you can learn to take care of your kids and learn to support others and stuff like that. But it all starts with you. You know, I, this, this year in school, I've gotten to, you know, to, to really share my experiences and the stuff that I've gone through with, with my peers um, and my teachers and just be told that I'm, I'm definitely going to 
do some big things with uh, the career, whatever career I take. And now that's going to be the hard part, right? Like I've, I've recently just been considering stuff about like getting into a position with policy, which means more school, more school. Um, but that's okay. Like um, to be told, you know, Hillary, it doesn't come down to whether or not you're capable of it. It just comes down to whether or not you want to do it. Yeah. Like by someone who was teaching me, like I, I felt very inspired. Um, and you know, it sets into this like, ooh, now I have all these other ideas of like, what could I do? Um, I know that like I want to aim in prevention, right? Like I come going back to like the endocarditis and the absolute no education I had around other infections that can happen because in my drug awareness as as a child and as a teenager, it was all you know, your it was the your brain fried on eggs. And, but it was like, and it, it was the HIV was all rampant in, in the education and sharing needles. Um, right. And, and that's how you'll, you'll get sick and you'll get this lifelong illness. That's all that really like stuck in my brain from my education. And they're, they've got to change that. Um, they need to start making some changes to some education. And I, I was you know, over the moon, excited to see some of the stuff that they were teaching us in school about um, prevention methods today and education. And it's not being like, hey, kids, just don't do drugs. They're bad. It's let's have a conversation about what what substances are and, you know, why people might end up using drugs and why people end up dependent. Not just you pick up drugs, you're going to be an addict. Like it's, it was so misconstrued in the nineties. No, for sure. And it, it, you know, I'm glad there's this awareness being brought out today about it because it does, because there's so many systems that are broken here in Ontario, I feel that need to be fixed and it, it, they're slowly fixing them with the harm reduction sites and the safe usage sites and stuff like that. It's nice to see those popping up, but there needs to be a lot more work done too, I feel. And you know, it goes back to like not shaming all these people because we're all humans at the end of the day. It doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. We both came from great homes, but we both ended up addicts. You know, it doesn't mean we're bad people, though. So that that's another thing I'd like to say as well. That's just it. Our, our, those decisions and that, you know, I, I, I don't even like using the word addict anymore that's really changing um they really try not to use that at school um because it's stigmatizing right so even though like i know i self-identify as an addict and that is something that helps me in my recovery but i have to recognize that i should never um i should never say that somebody else is an addict or refer to them as an addict unless they have identified themselves as one um just because it is so stigmatizing and uh but yeah, like the um, the knowledge is really, really changing. And um, I'm grateful for everything that I'm learning. Yeah, I believe that I can make some big changes. But it's all about, I, I think that anybody asking for help deserves help, right? Um, and I get, uh, I've gotten into disputes at school about fighting about, you know, people who have done criminal acts or whatever, you know, saying that if they walk in my door, like as, if I'm a counselor and they walk through my door, I don't care what you've done. I don't care. 
You know, I, I've, I've got my own traumas. Things might come up. I've got fears around, you know, inferior men. <laughs> but like, I can put all that aside because I recognize that any, like, so many people end up in a place. They're like, I've done all this stuff. I can't believe I'm doing, like, I've done this. And this is who I've become. How am I supposed to ask for help? Like, how am I supposed to admit that this is the stuff that I've done? Um, and that's what deters people from asking for help. Is they're so ashamed and they're so like like so yeah like i just have to stay open-minded and caring i like that you say it just like that and you know being open-minded and caring yeah it does go a long way being empathetic and you know showing that you care to someone that's all they want sometimes or a listening ear like you said earlier and stuff like that but before we go today hillary what are three things that you do for your mental health on a daily, just to keep yourself grounded and stuff? So on the daily, I go to 12 step meetings six times a week. Um, that is just something that's really, really good for my recovery, the connection, um, being able to help newcomers. I, I truly believe like, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. It was something else that I had learned in school at one point this year. And and uh, it's so true. I need to stay connected with others, but most of all, I need to stay connected with other people in recovery um, because they call me on my crap. They, you know, I, I, I can go and talk stuff out. I can, I, and they don't let me, my friends don't let me get stuck in my problems, right? We're all solution focused and we're not pity party. Like, let's make a big mountain out of a molehill. Let's, just look at what's going on right now, feel it out. You're allowed to have these feelings, you know, don't get stuck in it and, and don't go down the rabbit hole, um, which can ha so happen. It can ha easily happen. We're human beings and, and life happens. Life is just as hard in recovery, if not harder than it was when I was using. And uh, I walk on a consistent basis. I have a giant dog that, you know, we, uh, I got him as an emotional support animal. He does not calm me down, but he sh gave me so much structure and routine to my life. Um, I was someone who had a hard time getting out of bed and had depression and um, I have no choice, but like, you know, when my kids aren't here, I still got to get out of bed because I got to walk the dog and <laughs> like that gets me out of bed in the morning. Sometimes there's never a day where I just like, I'm not getting up because I have to get up. I have responsibilities. Um, and as much as it's, you know, that's a commitment, it is a self-care thing for me because he's given me so much structure. Um, and yeah, the third thing is I, I stay in connection with like my best friend who's also in recovery. We, uh, we talk out our stuff on the daily, um, which is so important for me. Um, checking in on newcomers, but I, um, I've really improved my place. Like I was saying, this is my, my right now. And a lot of my self-care over the last eight months was, um, taking some money because I, I haven't really had any financial freedom for a long time until now, investing in stuff for my home, you know, getting a new couch, a new coffee table and, and making it a nice home. And it really, I love my little place right now. It's like my little condo, but it's, you know, I live in a pretty like 
old apartment building, but I've made the best of it. And it's because I put effort into it and it makes me feel better. Well, thank you so much for, uh, you know, taking the time to share your story. I got so much out of it. You know, it is very powerful and empowering what you had to say. And I hope others got something out of it as well today. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Hillary. Thank you. You're welcome. You have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Chris. I hope you enjoyed part one of this episode of this two-parter on the podcast today. You know, stay tuned for part two, where we'll be talking more about Hillary's traumas, reflecting on her past, and her earliest childhood memories and generational trauma. That's a key one. I, I love bringing that topic up, guys. But stay tuned for part two with Hillary Schroeder. Until then, have a great rest of your day.